0: Welcome in to the Hoist the Colors podcast, another victorious edition of the HTC pod. Man, what a weekend inside Doughty Ficklin Stadium! It is Sunday evening now. We are recapping East Carolina's 52 to 29 victory over the Tulane Green Wave. I am Stephen Igo, the host of this podcast, the publisher of hoistthecolors.net dot As always. In our post game pods, taking your questions on the Hoist of Colors message board, got a ton to get to over the course of this podcast. We'll do that first. Want to start with my thoughts on the game, man. It, leaving the stadium last night, I, I I didn't really know what to think. Three wins in a row, like what a position to be in as a sports writer who's covered a team that has not won three games in a row since 2014. That's seven years, folks, and um kind of really details how bad things have been i mean it's just been tough to string together wins no matter the opponent and for ecu to pick up a couple of quality wins and win that george or uh, the charleston southern game find a way to string together three in a row and i said last week that the charleston southern game as painful as it was and you know just everything that 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 came out of that game nobody felt good and i felt like it was gonna end up being a potential great thing for East Carolina because when ECU is motivated when ECU is locked in that's usually when the Pirates play their best and based on everything Mike Houston said in the post game, the players said in the post game, that win and the way they won it led to the team really just going back to that's not our brand that's not our style of football here's what we have to do and they basically went good on good as much as to teams can possibly do in season in terms of first team versus first team live contact in season on Tuesday and Wednesday, which are always physical days, but you still be smart in terms of the contact because you don't want to just kill your football team. Uh, this, it's a long season. ECU's not going to be able to do that every week going forward, but for this particular game, the coaching staff was pissed coming out of the Tulane game coming kind out of the Charleston Southern game and they had to do something to fix it going into the two lane game. I don't think anybody that watched the game noticed the uptick in pure physicality across the board from the offensive line to the way the running backs ran. I mean, first run of the game, Keaton Mitchell just kind of sheds a tackle from a defensive lineman and goes 62 yards or 68 yards and and the offensive line all day was pushing a, a pretty solid two lane front around um, the, the ECU's defense, ECU special teams were laying some of the biggest hits I've seen in recent memory. Demetrius Mooney had a huge hit on special teams. Uh, Warren Saba defensively. Uh, Malik Fleming, Jaquan McMillan. They were just lowering the boom, man. Gerard Stringer had two or three huge hits, and they were doing it clean. Midsection, hitting with their shoulder, not leading with the helmet. Uh, Elijah Morris had a huge hit on the quarterback that led to a pick. So it was just a clinic of physical, tough-minded football on both sides of the ball. And that, to me, probably doesn't happen if ECU wins 40-3 to over Charleston Southern. A result of winning that game in ugly fashion, I think, was a wake-up call and perhaps led to the performance we saw now. Whether ECU would have won this game or not, I don't know, but I think we saw a different team this week. As a result of how they practice now the key for ECU going forward is how do you bottle that up without killing your football team I mean you just can't go live all season long or else eventually you're going to get guys hurt so how do you find that motivation how do you get that fire going into every single game I, I don't know I mean for UCF <clears throat> you know you're gonna get their best shot this coming Saturday they're coming off a loss to Navy that nobody expected them to lose and they're not a team that's used to losing multiple games in a row, so they're gonna and they're returning home, so they're gonna be ready to go no matter the injuries. We'll talk about that as the week progresses. But man, we'll we'll, we'll focus first for uh, on this win. We'll talk about this win, three in a row, one and zero in conference, three and two overall. The first time the Pirates have been over 500 in October since 2015, which was rough McNeil's last year. So the program continues to make progress and I know a lot of people were disappointed with the South Carolina game and rightfully so it was a disappointed loss I mean really you see like the better football team for the majority of that game and probably should have won the game you know you could easily be four and one right now you could of course make the counter argument the Pirates could be uh one and four I mean the Marshall game the crazy comeback the Charleston Southern game arguably could have lost that if the Buccaneers had more time, or the Buccaneers would have made some field goals. But you are what your record says you are, and ECU is three and two, and that is an above five hundred football team in October, and they're tied for first in the conference. And I know that we got a long way to go, seven more conference games, but it's a hell of a start. Uh, let's dive into some of these numbers. ECU's offense—we continue to talk about it, man. Like these are the performances we see. SMU last year, you know, the the offense played really good. I told to last year at times, um, twenty nineteen, of course, Cincinnati SMU, those back to back games, like we just see these flashes of just pure dominance. And I think the biggest difference now is like this particular offense has a lot of talent, a lot of playmakers. And yeah, we know Tyler Sneed and C J Johnson, but they're almost and they you know, Sneed's still a go to guy for sure. CJ you know, he's got the potential to be, but You have so many weapons now where teams can't just focus on C.J. and Snead. I mean, honestly, every scouting report going forward is going to be on Keaton Mitchell. First and foremost, how do we make sure we don't give up a 70-yard touchdown run to Keaton Mitchell? He's done it to basically everybody he's played at this point except South Carolina. So that's going to be uh, key number one. Rajay Harris, we saw what he did last year, so he's always going to be a focal point. Um, The tight ends are starting to become a – a, a position that teams have to scout and and really game plan for, you know, Ryan Jones using him on those jet sweeps, using him on play action passes, Shane Calhoun. We saw what he did against Marshall. He had a, a catch or two yesterday as well. So, um, and then just saw Hatfield. hasn't made a bunch of catches lately, but still has the, the speed to take you deep over the top. Tyler Sneed in the slot, CJ Johnson outside. Uh, so all of a sudden you've got six, you know, audio Matosho making plays down the field contested catches. you got six or seven guys now that are capable of making plays now it's just doing it consistently week in a week out uh, and that's the thing that's frustrated ecu fans i think is you know we have this talent finally we have a pretty veteran offensive line in terms of game experience we've got a three-year starter at quarterback and Holton aylers we got a uh, third-year offensive coordinator why can't we see it consistently now you're not going to go roll up 612 yards every week and Tulane has something to do with that. Tulane's defense has not been good this year. Let me get that uh let me make that clear. So some of this has to do with matchups, but at the same time there's no reason this offense shouldn't be uh you know decent to good every single week with the playmakers and experience they have. So th- hopefully this is a springboard to more consistent success. 310 yards rushing the most since 2007 at Memphis with, when I think Chris Johnson had 301 yards himself in that game. Uh, Keaton Mitchell had 222 yards rushing, also the most individual rushing yards for ECU since Chris Johnson, of course, in 2007 uh, in the Hawaii Bowl to conclude that year. He had 223 in that victory over Boise State. The Pirates very balanced offensively, 302 yards passing. So 310 rushing, 302 passing. Of course, Holton Naylor's with a very efficient game. Well, you know to me his best game of the year 21 of 32 288 yards two touchdowns no picks no turnovers by the offense uh, Mason garcia comes in throws an absolute dart to ryan jones he goes 101 for 14 yards and a score sneed four catches 78 yards and a score audio matosho four catches 76 yards ryan jones six catches to lead all pass catchers in the football game um, for 58 yards and a score so Getting all those guys involved was uh, crucial defensively. ECU holds an explosive two-lane offense to 404 total yards, which is a very respectable and pretty solid number, to be quite honest. Uh, 280 yards passing, only gave up 124 on the ground, and uh, that was a stark contrast to what the Pirates allowed last year where Tulane just ran over them. And conversely, Tulane held ECU to 35 rushing yards last year. Now, part of that had to do with getting out to a big lead early, but ECU schemed up Tulane a little bit in this game, and they executed. And Tulane not having two NFL defensive ends that were drafted in uh, April also helped a little bit as well. But uh, that, that that number, I mean, to go from 35 rushing yards to 310, kind of speaks to the progress, I think, of this team, especially on the ground and the talent of those running backs, the improvement of the offensive line as well. So uh, it all adds up to a 52-29 victory. The Pirates, of course, led 31-7 at halftime, which ironically was the score at the end of three quarters last year when Tulane was winning in doughty Ficklin Stadium. And I thought the biggest key for me in this game was the way ECU finished the game. You know, it was very reminiscent of last year's SMU game. Get out to a huge lead. Then it looked like they were going to have to hold on for dear life. Tulane comes storming back. Third quarter continues to be an issue. ECU gets outscored 16-0 in that quarter, so that you know that is concerning third quarter and third down continue to be a problem for ECU as a football team uh, third downs with the offense that is defense has been much better on third down as far as getting off the field but outscored 16 0 nothing in that third quarter all of a sudden it's a 31-23 game pirates have to answer and they do they come up with one of their best offensive drives of the of the game 10 plays 75 yards take 506 off the clock and score a touchdown on Roger Harris's one-yard run to make it back to a two-score game. And it was on that drive that Audio Matosho called a nice ball down the sideline. It would have been first and goal at the three. Pretty brutal call, in my opinion. You know, one you could call on every single downfield pass, just about. Two guys just kind of hand-checking, fighting for the ball. audio goes up and gets it. Offensive PI, you're at first and 25. Huge momentum killer. Tulane's got the momentum. And ECU, to come back from that... Get a huge run from Rajay. He punches it in. That was a huge momentum swing in terms of, okay, you don't want to have to settle for a field goal here. That still gives Tulane momentum. And then if you miss it, you have even more issues. But to punch that thing in there was a crucial turning point for me and uh, was a way for ECU to close it out. It started the closeout process. Then I think the following series, la- it was a three and out. Tulane then faked the punt. Great execution on their end. Uh, not much you can do as far as, you know, getting off the field there. They executed it. The guy threw a strike. The punter threw an absolute dart. So you don't get off the field there, but then you come back the very next play after a quick change. Defensively, you're like, we're off the field. Great job. Then you got to change that mindset and get off the field again. Elijah Morris breaks through. He pressures Pratt, picked by Warren Saba. He returns it into lane territory. A few plays later, Garcia hits Jones for the touchdown. That makes it a 45-23 game with 8.15 to go, and that was pretty much it. And the Pirates, of course, finished it off with Keaton Mitchell touchdown. So scored three touchdowns in the fourth quarter. Huge, and Mike Houston said it best after the game. They preached the no-quarter flag, the no-quarter um, you know, process, all that stuff, what it means, no surrender, no mercy on your opponents. And for a, the first time in a while, it felt like ECU really laid down the law in the fourth quarter on their home field and in a game that was still in doubt entering that fourth quarter they finished it and they finished it in impressive fashion so that was a big step we always talk about learning how to win and ecu the last few weeks come from behind win at marshall learning how to win in that fashion charleston southern it was ugly as hell but they made the, enough plays at the end uh, to uh, they got the punt down at the inside the five defense you know didn't give up a bust in those final few plays they hold on to get the win and then this one you get punched in the jaw as the team comes back and then you punch right back and knock them out in the fourth quarter that's three different ways learning how to win a football game for a young team that's still in that process and clearly on the right path three wins in a row winning is contagious I know it's a cliche but It really is, folks. With each win, each game becomes that much bigger. And so all of a sudden, you go down to UCF, and everybody had this one as a loss. When the schedule came out, now it's like, hey, we can win this game. We can go down there and win this game. UCF's got some injuries. They just lost the Navy, who looked terrible at the beginning of the year. So we'll get into into more of that. But, I mean, I think with each win, it just makes such a difference. In terms of uh, the, the standing of the program... And where things are heading. All right, let's dive into your questions on the Hoist the Colors message board. We got a lot of them. Jonathan Wagner, former Hoist the Colors intern, contributor. What's up, Jonathan? Uh, he asks, is ECU football back? Question mark. Thanks, Igloo. Igloo, I'll hang up and listen. Jonathan, great question, man. We'll get you back on the podcast soon. Yeah, <sighs> Is ECU football back? No, it's, it's not back. In terms of all the way back. Is it on the way back? Absolutely. Uh, I think that you can't watch that game yesterday and and say that ECU football is not on the way back. They, the way they were running and hitting, you know, the finish last year, the way they did against SMU, like, that was an awesome win. That, that performance was great, but at the same time, like, what did SMU really have to play for it was post Thanksgiving they were coming across the country all that stuff so like you can almost kind of chalk that one up to maybe SMU wasn't really motivated but it was a great performance now this year you start 0-2 you got your backs against the wall everybody's pissed off you basically are about to go to 0-3 at Marshall huge comeback win find a way to beat Charleston Southern and then the narrative of your season really hinged on what happened against Tulane if you lose to Tulane everybody looks at the Charleston Southern game as man, the ECs just not very good they barely beat an F- FCS team and then loses to an always solid two-lane team but instead you come out and you put the beat down on two lane for the most part outside of the third quarter and it was just uh it was just an impressive all-around performance I mean it was uh it's kind of what we envisioned I think when coach Houston took the job that eventually that's what the product would be and now it's a, a case of hey, how many times can ECU play like this in a season rather than maybe having one win or two like this a season? Well now you got three wins in a row, and how many years did we see ECU just go three and nine, three and nine, three and nine, four and eight, whatever, beating up on bad teams. All of a sudden you beat some pretty good teams. I know Marshall lost in middle Tennessee, which was a a pretty surprising loss. I don't know what's going on there. And we'll see where they finish. But I mean that team has talent. And then Tulane, they're 1-4, and four, but I guarantee you Willie Fritz is going to figure out something there. And they got some guys who are banged up right now, but they're better than your your average 1-4 and four football team. So, um, you know, you're beating some quality teams. Now, let's see if you can continue it. I'm not going to anoint that ECU football is back. They still have much to prove. I think we'll know a lot more if they go to two really talented conference teams at UCF and at Houston, teams that are pound for pound probably more talented than ecu across the board at each position based on where they recruit and how they've recruited over the years and uh the the success their programs have had now i don't think either of these games are unwinnable but i think ecu football is on its way back is it back i don't think it's all the way back yet but it's certainly trending in that direction and that's a much different narrative than we had when they were 0-2 so as you know these things always change from week to week game to game but i think it's on its way back for sure all right, Berg Pirate, He's got three questions. Uh, number one: Will Keaton Mitchell and Jaquan McMillan play their full eligibility at ECU, or will they leave early for the draft? Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't know. I would. I would venture to say both of them are. You know. All right. So Keaton's a freshman right now, but he could go to the draft after next year. You got to play three years. Jaquan McMillan could technically go to the draft after this year. He's a third year sophomore. You know, I think there's a good chance both eventually will declare early, but the good thing about them getting an extra year of eligibility is they can play four years and still leave early as an underclassman. And, you know, age matters a lot in Major League Baseball, the draft there. It's not as important in the NFL. I mean, it is a factor, but unless you're really old, it's not as big of a deal. So like, if you're Keaton Mitchell and you're Jaquan McMillan and you're really enjoying the college experience, you want to finish up your degree, maybe you get some NIL deals, all that stuff, you can play four years, get your degree, and still go after your quote-unquote junior season. So that would give uh, McMillan another year after this one. That would be four seasons. And then Keaton, of course, he could go out for his sophomore year. I mean, hell, if he continues on the path he's on, he might go out for three years, regardless of his eligibility. So uh, a, lot, a lot just depends on what their draft stock is, what they' what they're hearing from their you know their their people in the business, that sort of stuff. I can't see the future, but if I had to guess, I would say they probably end up leaving before they complete their full eligibility. Number two, when's the last time we won four in a row? That was also 2014. They had a five game winning streak that year so the last time EC won four in a row was 2014 during that streak, you know where they beat North Carolina. Uh, Virginia Tech, all those schools, uh, before losing to Temple. And sorry for bringing that game up. Uh, number three, will we open up our kicking competition? Will Lath Mar- uh, Margin or Sully Harden get a look? So I, from what I can understand, Sully Harden's actually working with the punters, and it's Carson Smith and Margin working with the kickers along with Daffer. I, I think Daffer's been the most consistent, and he still has only missed two field goals at this point. The snap was not good the other day. The operation was not great, so they gotta they gotta figure that out um, more so than figuring out who's kicking. And you know, Margin and Smith have a lot of talent. If Daffer routinely starts missing kicks or doesn't perform well in practice, then they'll open it up. But I don't see that being a, an option right now. I mean, he's only missed two field goals. And the point added for touchdown he missed against App was also because of a bad operation. So I don't don't see a huge need there for right now. But uh, those other guys are talented. Uh, Pirate Treasure NC, he asked, why not go for field goals on a couple of those fourth downs? Kicker issue, question mark, tail by Tulane on defense, just wanted to. You know, the vibe I get is, uh, and Coach Houston kind of alluded to it in his press conference, he just felt like it was a game where you needed touchdowns with the way Tulane operates offensively. I mean, you're talking about a team that scores... 36, 37 points per game. You know, the one I was surprised at was at the end of the game when they went for it, and I think Ehlers threw incomplete to Hatfield. You know, at that point, you could have kicked a field goal to to make it a, um, let's see, a three score game. Instead, Tulane gets it back, and I think McMillan got the pick, and he ends up scoring anyways. And at that point, it could have just been a scenario they had so much confidence offensively, you just want to keep going for it and, and go for the true knockout blow. But I think it's a combination of not entirely trusting your freshman kicker and also you like your matchups against Tulane and you know that their offense can put up points in the American man you got to be able to score a lot of points and field goals are not going to get the job done more times than not so I I think this is a trend you'll see like you play UCF next week I doubt you're trying to settle for field goals a bunch in Orlando if you have a fourth and four at the 25 to 30 yard line there's a good chance you're going for it so uh that that's kind of my take on it um Pirate Treasure also asked, anything you saw from the press box as to why the offense was able to get off like they did? 52 points by an ECU offense has been a while. Uh, Most games this season would struggled to hit low 30s. You know, I think the the obvious thing is ECU, offensively up front, played at a very high level, especially in the run game. I mean, Keaton Mitchell and Rajay made some awesome runs, but they also had some huge holes to, to run through more importantly when they had holes they hit them i mean there were times against Charleston Southern they just missed the cutback or they missed the lane and they worked on that a lot of practice this week they challenged the offensive line it was i thought ECU went with its best offensive line for most of the day fernando Fry performed really well at guard he's been playing extremely well this year since making the move from center to guard avery jones played well uh you know i thought the whole offensive line a Strother, Chase, those guys played well. Henderson didn't have the best start to the game, but I thought rebounded well over the, the second half. So, you know, it, I just thought the offensive line played well. It was a better matchup. Tulane's not great up front. They're solid, and their their talent is more in their, their linebacking core, and ECU was able to beat them at the point of attack, and really Keaton just outran those linebackers several times. And they were missing one of their best players, Nick Anderson, Who's a linebacker who's banged up right now? So their defense is hurting. Uh, you know, not one of the better defenses. ECU will probably play this year, so you have to factor that in. But the fact that ECU went up and and dominated in all phases offensively was was uh was quite a sight to, sight to see and, and encouraging. So I think we'll get a better feel. You know, UCF's had some issues defensively this year, but they're also pretty talented and fast. Our UCF is always fast, so. We'll get even a better look on the road this week at at just how good uh, this offense is. Uh, ECU Pirates backwards. He has confidence level 1 through 10 that there's a bowl game this year for ECU. Um, Well, I had him at 6-6 going into the year. Thus far, the only one I missed was I I had South Carolina as a win and Marshall as a loss. I had Tulane as a win, and I had the other wins as... I think originally I had as uh, USF, Temple, and Navy to get the six. So I'm going to stick with that. But the conference as a whole right now, like, I mean, outside of Cincinnati and maybe SMU, which ECU doesn't play this year, I think anybody's capable of beating anybody. And it's going to be like Memphis losing at Temple. That was a shocking score. Navy beating UCF. I mean, we know that Kenny Amatololo is a real deal, and he's always going to figure out something. And, of course, they'll be rolling by the time ECU comes to town. I mean, when is Navy when is Navy not operating at peak efficiency when they play the Pirates in a given season? But um, I, I just think every week is a winnable game. But every week you can lose if you don't show up. And I think with the point, the point that ECU's at right now in its program, trying to make the turn, it's still going to be very hard to sustain the success week in and week out to like finished in the top three of the conference or whatever i think ecu is going to be pretty evenly matched with a lot of the teams in this league the next two games are going to be tough because i think ucf pound for pound has more talent like they've just recruited at a higher level than most teams in this league cincinnati's the same way you know memphis and houston are kind in that similar mold but probably a rung below ucf and uh cincinnati so those games are tougher matchups on paper ecu can win the games because I think if they establish what they do, they can beat basically anybody on their schedule outside of maybe Cincinnati so but then you you face South Florida and Temple who are kind of I think more similar to ECU and ECU showed last year that they're probably better than them and they have more returning more continuity so and then you got the Navy game which Navy is just always a different beast because it's such a unique game. it's the option so like you almost have to throw it out whatever their record is whatever they look like, Sometimes they just throw a little wrinkle into their option game plan, and it's tough to stop. Sometimes the defense just has an excellent read on it. Navy can't do anything. So, like, it's hard to know what to expect going into that game because of the chess match that it is and the problems the option creates in terms of going against it. Um, so, I, that was a long answer. I don't even think I answered your question. Confidence level, I'll tell you what. I'll go Seven. I think beating Tulane, the point is, beating Tulane makes a much easier path to a bowl game because you have three realistic chances with uh, USF, Temple, and Navy, and then you can upset somebody else if you end up dropping one of those games. So th- you just have a lot better path there in terms of making it to a bowl game. So I'll go seven. Name the next under-the-radar guy that steps up on either side of the ball, a la Tyler Sneed. Wow, that's a uh, that's a great question. I didn't do my homework so I'm gonna try try to do this on the fly mm. you know I said in the preseason that I thought Tegan Wilk would be the guy defensively but at this point he's kind of already emerged uh, so defensive line I'm gonna go I'm gonna go Jason Schuford or JV McCray you know we've seen Sarad Ware step up a lot at defensive tackle but I think as these guys continue to develop we're seeing Xavier McIver play Elijah Morris, McKinney, etc. But I think as we continue to, to go further into the season, guys like Jason Schuford, guys like JV McCray, as long as they continue to practice well, perform well, prepare well, like they have a lot of talent. And so when they get on the field, they have a chance to be difference makers. You look at Sarad where last year did not even play at all as a true freshman, had a great off season, put in the work, and now he's playing a key role. So I'm gonna go with one of those guys. I think Taylor Jackson's a good, uh, a good, good name as well at linebacker, who's played some. But now that Aaron Ramsour and Xavier Smith are playing more there, I think that could take some snaps from him for in the time, in the short term time. So, uh, offensively, I, I feel like they're using so many weapons already. Like it, it's tough to envision somebody else stepping in uh the you know the one guy that's actually playing a lot isn't getting targeted much is Tyler Savage so i guess i can go with him uh i would go with savage or taji hudson because i think hudson it sounds like has made some plays in practice lately he made a nice play on special teams like eventually you would like to get some more rotation there at outside receiver and so i'm going to go i'm going to go with taji hudson and tyler savage because i think eventually one of those guys will We'll start to make some plays down the stretch here this season. All right, uh, let's. Uh, we got a, a couple more questions, actually a lot more questions. Let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back on the Hosted Colors Podcast uh, on the other side to finish this one out. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, we're back on the Hoisted Colors podcast. Mike N-O-K-I, he's got three questions and they kind of go together. Number one, how many games will ECU win? Number two, which ones? Number three, 84 teams will go bowling or playoffs. Will ECU make it if they have five wins? Uh, let's go backwards here. Right? Number three, ECU will not make it if they have five wins is my hunch. I, you know, A lot of that is dependent upon APR and all that stuff. So, and I actually think ECU is in a pretty good APR standard right now. That's come a long way under Coach Houston, but I, I, I don't know. I, I'm just going to i'll tell you what it won't matter because they're going to get the six and they're going to get the six by beating south florida temple and navy and they'll finish six and six how about that and now if they go beat ucf or houston then they could get seven maybe even eight you never know uh but i think they do make a bowl game right now ecu grad oh four uh number one who are the targets for aac expansion and why I don't know, man. I mean, we were hearing that Colorado State and Air Force were basically a done deal, that Colorado State badly wanted into the American due to the increase in, in the TV deal and the markets and all that, and basically Air Force wanted to stay with Boise and San Diego State, so Colorado State ended up staying anyways. So I think I think there's a good chance you'll see UAB, I think like a FAU... UTSA those schools make sense because they have upside they're in good markets pretty solid football right now I still would love to see App State but I'm hearing more Charlotte chatter than App State or I'm hearing more Georgia State chatter than App State which which kind of bothers me because like at some point when do we throw out the fact that who cares if, like, Georgia State, okay, they're in Atlanta. That's great for them. Who the hell in Atlanta pulls for Georgia State? Everybody there is a Georgia, Georgia fan or a Georgia Tech fan if they're not a Georgia fan. Or if they're not one of those fans, they're a fan of another SEC team. They sure as hell are not a fan of Georgia State. I mean, there's just, nobody's a Georgia State fan except for maybe a thousand people that went to school there. I mean, like, I, I, I don't know, man. Like, I get it. UCF was the same way, and they've blown up, but but they just kind of caught the magic there. I mean, it just it doesn't happen like that always. So, you could easily go that route, and it would blow up in your face, and Georgia State just continues to stay irrelevant in terms of the Atlanta market and the role it plays there. I mean, we go to all these road games and go to Temple. You know, we're going to Lincoln Financial Field and the Uber and the, the drivers, like, why are you guys heading to Lincoln the link on a on a Saturday? Isn't the Eagles game on Sunday? Like yeah, we're going to see uh Temple. Like oh, Temple has a football team. Like these these people just nobody cares about Temple football. Very few people care about South Florida football in Tampa. I mean, it's just so irrelevant compared to the the sports, the pro sports venues there. So I, I don't know. I mean, it's just there's really no great options, and that's the problem with the American whiffing on this Mountain West deal. I mean, they really weren't great options either, but they were better than some of these other ones. So, But you got to add somebody. I mean, you don't want to get passed by Conference USA or the Sun Belt. So we'll see what Mike Resco has up his sleeve. Uh, you also asked, is AAC looking at 10 or 12 total numbers? I think you got to get to 12 eventually, but you got to start with 10. You certainly can't have eight and be the smallest conference in America. So they got to figure out something. The TV deal is good enough to where they can poach somebody from Conference USA or some belt rather easily, but it's just a matter of who do they choose. Uh, number three, when will the debt for the Boneyard Edition from 2010 be paid off? I don't I honestly don't know, man. I don't have the answer to that. I didn't. I, I didn't even know there's still debt from the Boneyard Edition. And if so, I would hope that it's not much. Uh, number four is revenues. Is revenues from Town Bank Tower equal to the debt for the tower? No, it's not. The uh, the previous administration screwed ECU, and basically the tower loses money every year. And I think the university right now is having to pay pay the difference on that. To bail out athletics because of the miscalculation there, so just an absolute epic fail by the Town Bank Tower. And the thing is, they're actually selling out all the suites and all that. And the only way I think that the stadium makes revenue is if you get back to the point where you're averaging, you know, forty thousand plus consistently. And but right now, no, the uh, the construction costs, the escalators, I mean, all that stuff, just. The paying off the interest, it's just set ECU back so much from a financial perspective in the athletic department. I mean, it was just the dumbest project that they could have done. I mean, you could have built half the facility and had just as much success. And I don't, even, I don't even want to go down this path. I could do a whole podcast on how stupid that thing was. And I get it; it looks great when you're driving up, but how many people actually get to use it? It just benefits the players little to none. You know no no players are going up there to get uh, to get any help I mean I guess they could host like a, a team dinner up there but it's not helping anybody so uh, yeah whatever I'm, I'm done talking about that all right number five how does ESPN plus measure viewership for games what have measurements as used for ESPN plus games the season for ECU I, again I don't have access to that information I don't even think the conference shares that information publicly so I you know these are good questions ECU grad 04 but these are questions that honestly should be asked to Mike Oresco or John Gilbert and I don't think John I don't think either one of them really know number five I mean I I would say probably John Gilbert knows or Mike Oresco knows but usually that type of stuff is not public information unless ECU is number one and they want that report out there so somebody leaks the numbers but um, that's not public information to my knowledge. I can try to, to reach out to the conference to see what I can find out or ESPN. Um, but good questions. I just, you know, sorry, I couldn't help out more. Uh, ECU buck 88. He asks, has Mike Houston found the team after losing them last week? Great, great, uh, tongue in cheek comment here. Of course, there was a thread on hoisted colors last week about how the, uh, the coaching staff had lost the team due to the undisciplined play against Charleston Southern. I'm going to say, based upon Saturday's performance, and I said last week, you know, somebody was trying to create a narrative that the offensive line and Holton Ayers didn't get along because the offensive line didn't pick up Holton Ayers after he was sacked or something like that. And, and that can be further from the truth. I mean, I, I put out the example. I vividly remember in the Marshall game when he was getting his tail kicked, Sean Bailey got beat, Holton got sacked, Sean Bailey jogged over to Holton Aylers and helped him off the ground. So, I mean, and Holton puts out on social media that he gets, you know, he's getting pizzas for the offensive line every week. I don't know if that's an NIL deal or what, but they've got a great relationship. So the team is good. You know, even Keith Mitchell said after the game, this is so much of a closer locker room this year compared to last year um and Keaton seems to be like a guy that pretty much gets up there and speaks his mind doesn't say a whole lot but he's going to speak his mind so no that Mike Houston has not lost the team you don't play like that if you've lost the team and I think the Charleston Southern game was just a I, I just think it was the, the players just took Charleston Southern lightly and it is what it is even if the coaches drill it into their heads all week they can't get inside the player's head and it's up to the players to uh to prepare like every opponent is the same opponent all right um pat 72 jg he asked am i going to orlando i am going to orlando shout out to uh to 24 7 sports for helping send me there so i will be making the trip flying out friday afternoon and coming back sunday morning so looking forward to the trip i've been the Last two times ECU has played UCF on the road, neither was a very uh, successful game. We'll see. I may have been the past. See, I was there in 2015 when they were winless. 2017, I was there as well. So, yeah, I've been the past four times actually. So, um, yeah, not a huge fan of the bounce house. I think it looks cheap. I mean, I think it is a pretty good atmosphere. I'll give UCF that. They've got a ton of students, and their students show up, and they jump up and down, and they shake the entire building. So that's pretty cool. It's a night game. That'll be cool. Um, but, it, you know, I mean, it's it's an erector set. That's what it is. It's just an aluminum stadium. So um, not much glamour to it. And the fact that its actual name is the bounce house now and doesn't even have a like a real name is kind of weird. Used to be Bright House Network Stadium and then Spectrum Spectrum Stadium and now it's just the bounce house. So that's cool, but hey, they're going to the Big Twelve, so good for them. Alright, Buck Wild seventeen, how does UCF's D line compare to two lanes? How do the teams compare in as many other positions slash categories that you care to cover? You know, I have not really dove into UCF a ton. I did watch them against um, Louisville. Watch most of that game. You know Dylan Gabriel being out is such a huge deal because he he probably realistically is a top five top ten quarterback in the country. You just don't replace a guy like that in season. I mean that's just so hard to do so first off they they had an elite quarterback he's going to be out, so that in itself gives you an opportunity to win the football game. You go there knowing that you can have a chance to get off the field if you're the defense now they have elite talent. At receiver, elite speed. Uh, Jalen Robinson is just an absolute blur. Big play guy, Oklahoma transfer. He did not play in the Navy game. Not sure what was up with that. Their top running back, uh, Bowser, who's a Northwestern transfer, also did not play in the Navy game. Uh, And all these people, including, um, including the quarterback, were hurt against Louisville. They had the bye week, and they still did not travel to navy so trying to figure out what exactly is going on there and that, those are just some significant pieces now they still got a ton of speed at, at running back at a receiver true freshman quarterback who played last week played pretty good they got an auburn transfer quarterback who's more of like a uh, gatewood special is his name gatewood's his name a uh, special package quarterback similar to what they do with garcia at ecu so that's something to keep an eye on you know, defensively, they lost a couple of corners to the draft, so they took a hit there. Their nickelback last year was a was absolute terror. He basically shut down Snead single-handedly. So, um, and they lost some talent on defense. They brought in Big Cat Bryant, who's a former four- or five-star recruit, Auburn transfer. Brought in a couple other guys who are big-time transfers. And it just seems like they've got talent. I mean, they probably are the most talented team in the league outside of Cincinnati, pound-for-pound. But they haven't really jailed yet. New coaching staff, new schemes. Gus is trying to Gus Malzahn trying to change things to fit his style. Now you get an injury at quarterback. You're trying to work these transfers in. It seems like they have not really hit their stride. So UCF probably you know definitely a lot more talented than Tulane. Are they as cohesive of a unit as Tulane? I don't know. I would have to watch more of them. I would probably venture to guess no. But it probably doesn't matter because they're so talented. But when you face a a well-oiled machine like Navy, when they are going good, you can get exposed. And that's what happened this past weekend. ECU, if they can operate as a unit, play complimentary football, they can win this football game. Although they will probably be out-talented across the board. So those are just some takes. I I, I have not watched them enough to know to go position by position and, and really break it all down. All right, Blackbeard Ghost. He asked, team, looks great through first two quarters, come out after halftime and laid an egg. Any explanation on what the heck happened there in the third quarter? Obviously something changed for the fourth, but I just don't get the flatness from halftime. Yeah, I don't know. The third quarter thing is a conundrum or conundrum and, and ECU's gotta figure it out. I mean it's been it's been multiple games now where they have just the game has, has just gotten away from them in the third quarter in terms of they just have not been good. They have been outscored now 44-10 to 10 in the third quarter. Every other quarter, they are basically winning. The, the first quarter, uh, they are tying, for the most part, 38-37. Opponents scoring 38, ECU scoring 37. ECU outscoring opponents 59-34. ECU outscoring opponents 55-32 in the fourth, but in the third quarter, 44-10. That usually is indicative of second-half adjustments by the coaching staff. And so that's a little concerning that this is an issue. And I don't know what they have to do. I don't know if it's a mindset thing, an execution thing or what, but they have to figure it out. This was the first game that ECU lost the toss. Tulane deferred, so ECU got the ball first. So Tulane got the ball first in the second half. They score. ECU's I think got into the Tulane territory. Stalls out. Tulane scores again. So Tulane made some adjustments. They're a well-coached team. ECU didn't have the ball a ton in the third quarter, but also didn't capitalize a lot when they did. So got to be, I guess, just got to come out better. I mean, I don't, I don't really know the the real answer to that. Otherwise, I would think ECU would already have it fixed. But they, they have to figure that out because you can't keep doing that. Uh, that is a that is a problem uh Tarbra bill asked what changes would you like to see on offense defense and special teams just curious not trying to start anything um well i mean hell if they're gonna go for 600 yards like they did this past week and just keep doing the same things offensively you know i will say more of you know somebody asked what changes on o and d this is the next question so i kind of loop these two together Emerald City Pirate asks, what changes in offense and defense do you think contributed most to this win and did they really make that big of a difference I, you know going into the game I said I wanted to see more Aaron Ramsor and Xavier Smith at linebacker to me ECU is solid up front defensively but they're not good enough to where they can just dominate the line of scrimmage so you need really good linebacker play and uh Miles Berry Bruce Bivens you know love them solid football players, but Xavier Smith and Aaron Ramseur are your best pure athletes. Yeah, they might bust or whatever, especially Ramseur every now and then, but he's so good at tackling and making up ground, and just when he triggers, he gets downhill quick. I wanted to see those guys more, and I thought it made a difference. I thought it made a difference. I think they're your best pure athleticism linebacker duo, and, uh, You know, it does make you weaker moving Xavier from edge to middle linebacker, but I think it makes you stronger up the middle, and that's probably more important in a game like Tulane where they like to run the football. Um, So that's one thing I noticed offensively. Fernando Fry has been grading out as your best offensive lineman for basically the entire year in essentially a part-time role according to Pro Football Focus. And basically, he started the game and played almost the entire game at guard. And I thought we saw the offensive line play its best game of the year. As a result, so those are a couple personnel changes that made a big deal. You got Ryan Jones more involved. The pass pro was crucial. Really good pass protection for most of the night against Tulane. So a lot of this is potentially matchup dictated. I mean, you're not going to go out there and run for 300 yards a game. They hit a couple scheme things, but it just was, for the most part, better blocking better execution, and a few wrinkles here and there, a few personnel changes, a few things they were probably saving for conference play. Mason Garcia package continues to expand. So I thought most of the changes I wanted to see, we saw them in this game. And I'm not just saying that because they were successful. Like I, I posted on the board that the linebacker thing was, was one I wanted to see. Xavier playing more inside backer. Uh, Fernando playing more on the offensive line and I think we're seeing that potentially pay off and that doesn't mean we don't want to see you know Sean Bailey or Miles Berry or Bruce Bivens play anymore like there's definitely still a role for those guys and they're an important part of the team and they'll continue to play a role going forward but I think in certain situations you have to go with uh, with certain personnel to to have the best result possible so whatever helps the team win I'm in favor of, and I think everybody on the team is as well. So, um, that was a, I guess that's my answer right now uh, for Utah Bill and Emerald City Pirate. Uh, be easy, he asked, what bowl will we go to? Well, you know, I had my bowl predictions, the Hawaii Bowl. I just, the reason it's bold is because I really don't think they'll go there, but it would be a cool trip. I'm going to go with the Cure Bowl in Orlando against the Sun Belt team. You know, maybe South Alabama, whoever. You know, the Cure Bowl would be a fun trip. Myrtle Beach Bowl wouldn't be a bad one either. You know, the DC Bowl, the Fenway Bowl, all those are realistic. But I'll just say the Cure Bowl in Orlando. No particular reason. It just seems like a destination that a six and sixteen would go to. All right, a couple more questions here. Then we'll get out um, Jeep for uh, four parts. Yes. Why are we still having such a hard time converting? On third downs we can't count on going for it on fourth down so often and being as successful as we were against Tulane while play calling is better what additional changes do we need to make to convert on third down great question uh, and the thing I noticed a difference in this game was the third down plays it wasn't as much third and nine third and ten there were a few times especially in the second half but early on you had some third and shorts that you didn't convert And, you know, I think even on the first drive, you had third and two, third and three. They put in Mason Garcia and ran a fairly predictable run, which maybe ended up paying off later when he threw the ball. Uh, But he got stopped a couple yards short. Then they go for it on fourth down to get it. So you had some third and shorts you did not convert. You had the one near midfield as well when Holt Naylor threw it to Tyler Snead on the ensuing fourth down. You have manageable third downs, and you're not getting those. That's more concerning than when you put yourself in third and nine, you know what the issue is. You got to be better on first and second down. This time I thought they were better on first and second down. And they found a way to extend drives with the fourth down conversions or just, you know, picking up a first down and a second down. I, You know, I don't know what the issue is. I, I think at the end of the day it comes down to, you know, third down more times than not. You're, It, it can be a very predictable down. It, if you're two, if you're in third and like two, more than likely you're going to run the ball. If you're in third and seven, more than likely you're going to pass the ball. So if ECU is too predictable in those situations, maybe the offensive line is not good enough to straight up run block or pass block when the defense sells out on one or the other. Uh, maybe the receivers aren't good enough at getting separation when the defense knows what's coming. Maybe the back's you know, struggle in short yardage situations. I don't know, I, you know, maybe Holton, for whatever reason, doesn't do good in this particular drop back passing game on third and long. All those things seem to be, would, would seem to add up to the consistent third down struggles. I mean, it, it's at the point now where it's been a year and a half, essentially. So it's no longer just like a three game sample size. This is a year and a half, 30% issue. Got to get better at it. And good thing they converted on fourth down. Maybe you just treat it as, hey, if we can't get third downs, we treat it as it's four-down territory more times than not. When you're on midfield past midfield into opponent territory, you just say, hey, it's third and seven. We're probably going for it here. Let's run the ball. or Let's throw it short of the sticks and see what happens. Maybe you start approaching it that way. I don't know. I wish I had an answer for it, and I'm sure the coaching staff wish they had an answer for it too. Alright, let's wrap it up with this. C, uh S Hall Pirate 04. Fill in the blank. We win or in Orlando if blank happens. Wow. Uh ECU wins in Orlando if Rajay Harris and Keaton Mitchell combine for two hundred rushing yards. I think there's gonna be a lot of preparation in this game to slow down ECU's running attack. I worry about ECU's passing game having consistent success at UCF. So I think they're going to be able to run the football. I think if ECU gets the ground game going, it doesn't have to be as successful as they did against Tulane, but if they can run the ball well enough to keep UCF off the field, limit their possessions, that will help out the defense. And I think if they can establish a run on UCF, that's how you go in there and win on the road in a tough environment. You run the football at them, See if they can stop it. And if you can do it consistently, you're going to have a lot more success uh, than, you know, than we've seen at times with ECU against good defenses. This will be another good defense the Pirates face on Saturday in Orlando. So that's my prediction. 200 rushing yards between Keaton and Raje, and ECU gets the dub. All right, that'll do it. Ton of questions, ton of good stuff i tell you what, ECU Grado for, he brought the, the hard-hitting questions. Again, I wish I had more answers for you, but, you know, some of that stuff we just don't get access to, even as media members. Um, so I'll try to dig and see if I can figure out any more, and if so, I'll post on the board. But that'll do it for this edition of the podcast. Again, excited to break down another win. Three in a row, guys. Still figuring out what to do with my hands, what to type, Strange times, but good times. I always like talking about a win. It's It's been too long since we talked about three wins and too long since we talked about a big mid-season victory to start you off 1-0 in conference play. So I'll take it every day of the week. Exciting times. Again, UCF this week, then a bye next week. So we'll have a ton of coverage leading up to the Knights game. Um, All week long, we'll have a UCF preview before I head to Orlando as well later in the week. Appreciate you guys listening as always, and we'll be back with you later in the week, probably Thursday, Friday, sometime in that range. Until then, you've been listening to the Hoist the Colors podcast. We'll talk to you next time.